Welcome to a new episode of Outside the Panels with your host, Johnny the Machine Hughes. Welcome everyone to a new episode of Outside the Panels. I'm your host, as always, Johnny the Machine Hughes, and joining me this time around, we have a comic writer par excellence who's decided to pick up the prose and not the comic book. I'm, of course, talking to Fabian Nisiesa. Fabian, how's it going? Well done, Johnny. <laughs> oh, oh. He was very worried he'd get the name wrong, folks, but he nailed it. <laughs> Woo! Happy dance to me. Excellent. Now, I, I want to I, I wanna ask you why the nickname The Machine, but I don't know if the answer would be appropriate in a, in a podcast um, that's going to discuss suburban dicks. Well, I've got a question about the title of the book, so you know, hold on. So the, 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 it's a productivity title, and, and that's kind of it. Gotcha. So back when I was back when I write for uh, write reviews for Comic Crusaders when we first started, um, I was – I was hitting like six or seven reviews a week and then we started doing podcasts and because we weren't time zone friendly, the the guys in the States would be like saying, let's get together at 10 PM EST. I'm like, dude, that's like three o'clock in the morning for me, but I never missed one. So it was like, Oh, look at Johnny. He's like a machine. And that's kind of very good. That's kind of, that is, that's kind of how that it's is a worthwhile nickname. I like it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> machine use. So we're here to talk about your book public publication day today. The 22nd of it June. Is. Today is pub day. Yes, it is. Um, I've done a little bit of research on goodreads.com. On a score out of five stars, you are currently sitting on. Are you ready? I'm 4. ready. 4.2. 4.2. That's immense. Uh, I looked earlier that? and I thought it was 4.25. Damn it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Somebody who hates dead people. Not that I'm keeping water. track or anything. Um, <laughs> It, 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 it so far so far it's gotten really really good reviews um not just from the industry trade publications like Kirkus and publishers weekly uh mm -hmm. but other 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 mystery related publications and now the readers who are or who got looks at advanced galleys are giving it pretty solid reviews um I, i'm i'm pretty happy the the what they're liking about it is exactly what i was trying to send out so so mm -hmm. i'm glad that that the people who've been reading it are picking up on that so talk to me about talk to me about the book suburban dicks one of my colleagues from comic crusaders nemesis and nemesis fc2 has asked me the question why dicks is it about private detectives or is it about it, male, it's, ma male it's, manhood which one it is, is it? it is an, an intentional pun on the the old nickname for private detectives ah. um and, and and the personality types of the main characters involved um and i originally came up with the entire book concept 1995 uh because wow. the the idea really sprung from things that were happening in my real life and, and i came up okay. with an imaginary solution for them uh and, and that was the book's premise and, and the book's characters and the book's title um it, it Various times I've tried to write it. I um, I had different permutations of the title just because I was always worried that no one would want to, you know, no publisher would want to purchase a book with that name, and then I would be worried about some yeah. stores not wanting to to rack it. Um, but but even when I had other titles in in my mind, it always had a subtitle which was a suburban Dick's mystery. So oh, the, that 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 concept was always coined in my mind since 1995. That that it really kind of fit the tone and feel 
of of the story, the books, the characters, and of uh -huh. me as a writer, and 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 now more than ever because of Deadpool success, kind of of how I am I am known or thought of. Yeah, and that's a really interesting point you bring up because I've um, I've started reading the book. Um, I absolutely loved the, uh, the 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 main first character who gets killed. I'm not even going to try okay. and attempt to say that person's name. It's like Sakunanantan Sasmal. Easy. Yeah, what he said. <laughs> um, that's what he said. Um, <laughs> I like the whole like robbed by robbed by a spatula. I had to. Well, I had to yeah, I've the... worked in a, I've worked in a petrol station, like a gas station, where I, in my younger days, I don't think anybody ever tried to rob me with a spatula. Uh, I worked at a 7-Eleven from a midnight to eight in the morning shift. Um, I, you don't have 7-Elevens over there, right? But here, here yeah, they're just con convenience stores. Okay. Yeah. And, and and somebody one time wanted to shoplift stuff and, and rob me, and and he didn't really even have anything. He just held his wallet in his hand. And I said, <laughs> come on. I said, come on, dude. And he just goes, come on. I go, just go. Because we weren't supposed to put up a fight even back yeah, then. Yeah. We're talking about when I was in college. I was working this, this part-time job. So, you know, anything can be threatening in the hands of a threatening person, right? So <laughs> in, in Saku's defense in that opening chapter, it, it is one of those big, you know, barbecue mm. grilling spatulas oh, yeah, with a metal... Yeah. With the metal pl plate uh -huh. at the end, so it's uh -huh. scary. Not like an egg masher. No, it's a proper. No, proper no, this not, yeah, it yeah. wasn't a whisk or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine someone coming into a Seven Eleven to try and rob the place. Uh, I've got an empty wallet. I'm not going to pay for anything. Yeah, you, oh, yeah no. the wallet was empty. That made it threatening. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a huge credit card debt. I'm not buying any more. <laughs> um, so you talk about '95. So '95 was probably arguably you were in your heyday back then back for marvel you had deadpool you had the xbox going on um how did that how did this idea for suburban dicks then kind of sort of germinate from the from the kind of i don't want to say run-of-the-mill stuff because you know the x stuff no from working in one kind of genre yeah. and, and have an idea for a completely different kind of book well the the, the the truth is that that even back then when I was writing what six books a month and 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 working a full time job at Marvel, um, I hesitated becoming an editor at Marvel, shifting over from my advertising manager job because I didn't mm. want to be editing the same kinds of books I was writing. So okay. the editor in chief Tom DeFalco had the last laugh because he gave me the young reader books and all the licensed <laughs> books, and I had to edit <laughs> things like Barbie and Ren and Stimpy and things like that. Um, and it was specifically because I wanted to do other things. I didn't mm -hmm. just want to be writing or immersed completely in superheroes. And that's a genre that I've grown up in. Like, since mm -hmm. I was five years old, I've been reading superhero comics, but I've always had other interests across the board. Uh, and even when I was at Marvel, I often tried to pitch and sell uh, book concepts that were kind of off off the beaten path slightly a little mm -hmm. like the work i was doing with nomad which at the time i was writing marvel's number one selling book and i was writing marvel's like third lowest selling book at the same time and that was nomad right brought, and, but it, it scratched an itch in me to do to do different kinds of stories so for me looking at this book suburban dicks i see lots of nomad stylings in there because i i've got to say right now I loved your Nomad book. I thought Nomad was a clever idea. I thought it was a great way of talking, 
different stories away from the superhero genre. Um, and I absolutely love that book. I absolutely thought it was the bee's knees. And looking at Suburban Dixon, you've kind of got that kind of introspection of American suburban life a little bit. I can kind of see that. I've seen other people say, oh, you know, there's a little bit of satire in there, so it's like Deadpool. To me, it's not. It's it's Nomad. Well, the, the, the truth is, it, it's me, right? That, that's, the, that's as simple as you can boil it down. And in some books, I'm able to do more of me than in other books. In some uh -huh. comics, I was able to do. Like, in the X books, it's incredibly little of me. But mm -hmm. in New Warriors, it was a lot of me. You know, mm -hmm. and 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 also in in Nomad and things subsequently throughout my career have had more of me in it because they were the kinds of titles or characters that allowed me to express a little more of myself. You know, mm -hmm. Cable and Deadpool, which I wrote for fifty issues, had a tremendous amount of me in it within the mm -hmm. context of 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 working on on those two disparate characters. Um, th this is a book pretty much for better or worse which is all me like th there's no there was no real need to 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 couch myself and my experiences uh -huh. and my life so all of it has little things that are plucked out of my day-to-day -day existence in new jersey suburbs um my experience working from home and 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 seeing um the the challenges that my wife and my friends um, went through when they had to make determinations whether they were going to continue working in their career or whether they were going to stay home and mm -hmm. be the quote-unquote homemaker. Um, yeah. And all of that infuses the characters in the book. And, and the observations about suburbia are kind of all, um, all infused of living in an area for 30 years that has seen demographic shifting going on, having had personal experience with a, an indifferent police department and an indifferent town government to, mm -hmm. to issues that were affecting the neighborhood I lived in. Um, mm -hmm. All of that got kind of mushed together in terms of the original idea, but then in many ways, because my own insecurities and lack of confidence in writing prose is what kept me from doing it for so long, um, okay. that actually was to the benefit of the book because mm -hmm. I think the amount of time it took gave me greater perspective, greater understanding, and, and and greater empathy for the challenges the characters were going through, you know, so, and the town and the challenges the township goes through because I've kind of experienced them. I've lived them. Um, so I my goal is always to entertain. Simple as that. I want to entertain the reader. Sometimes mm -hmm. that's going to be adventure. Sometimes that's going to be uh, comedy. Sometimes that's going to be social satire. In this particular case, it's I tried to mix a little of all of it together. Um, cool. A heady brew indeed. I remember uh, my last model, I suppose, note is um, the transvestite, transgendered issue of Nomad. I lost friends because I picked that book up. And I was like, oh really? Oh, that's kind of sad for your friends, quite frankly. That's what I was like. I, I was like, I don't care. Have you seen how great he looks in that pink dress? I'm just going with that. It. Yeah. That was just had, uh, that was a cross-dressing issue. Yeah, he had his hair pushed like on the side, a '90s side part and thing going on. I was like, you know what? It, it, it is what it is. It's great fun, and you know what? Um, yeah, I don't miss my friends. Uh, it's amazing <laughs> that, at that, at that exact time uh, that Marvel let me do a cross-dressing issue of nomad they weren't letting me do 
an HIV storyline in Nomad. Yeah, they, they weren't going to let me make the character HIV, but they were okay with me doing a self-contained issue <laughs> where the characters are all cross-dressing. Go oh, figure, you know? Figure. <laughs> all right, okay, so Suburban Dicks, give us the, give us the skinny, give us the lowdown about the book. What's the, the main premise so people can kind of get an idea of what's the, going on? The story is uh, a... 33-year-old pregnant with her fifth child should have been FBI profiler who did not become an FBI profiler because she became pregnant with her first child, uh, you know, 10 years earlier, and a 29-year-old reporter who won a Pulitzer Prize when he was graduating college for a series of articles that took down the administration of the New Jersey governor. And now, 10 years later, nine years later, he's working for a weekly local suburban newspaper because he screwed up his 20s big time. So it's the story of two people who both feel they have a lot to prove to themselves about who they should be uh -huh. getting themselves involved in the murder of a local gas station attendant uh, that the police are saying was robbery, but Andy Stern uh, and Kenny Lee don't think it was robbery. They think it was something that was done in order to uh, continue a longstanding cover-up. Uh, so the story unfolds that, that the murder that took place today is, is in order to protect a longstanding cover-up that, that could affect or, or, or involve the police department and right. the local government administration. Cool. So a lot going on in that book then. I liked how um, there's a couple of things I want to put kind of sort of tease a little bit here. You said that the characters themselves have to prove something to themselves. You know, Andy's got to prove that she's still got the, the profiling skills. Kenny's got to prove that he's still got his journalistic uh, chops, as it were. Do you see that prove themselves element? You, you say the, com the book comes from you. Is that you kind of metaphorically saying you need to prove yourself as a prose writer as opposed to being the comic guys? Well, yes, <laughs> you, yeah, yes, you could absolutely look at it that way today. But uh -huh. the irony is that I came up with the characters and their motivations in 1995. So, okay. the, but the truth is that more so Kenny's than Andy's. A Andy's really reflective of all the female friends I, I had in my life uh, then yeah. and now who often had sacrificed their careers and many of whom mm -hmm. had very good careers and very, very good education and uh -huh. they, en they ended up raising the kids and how many of them had had internal and external conflicts with that and how mm. challenging it was for them because a part of them, no matter what, felt that they weren't doing something that they were really good at, which was the job, the career, yeah. you know? Um, but, but, but for me, Kenny was more of my kind of template when I first came up with the character because I, I had the incredible good fortune combined with a lot of hard work that I was able to accomplish by the age of 30, 31, 32, what mm -hmm. I wanted to do since I was 10 years old. And that was write comic books for Marvel Comics. And having done that at such a young age and having met the level of quantitative success that mm -hmm. we met back then, I often was very, very insecure about what what do I do next? Once yeah. you've done this, once you've sold 1.6 million comics a month for a year, a year and a half, then uh -huh. what do you do? You know, and, and and that was driving the initial kind of foundation of Kenny. 
Um, okay. and, and ironically, 30 years later, I bring experience to that question, what do you do next? Because yeah. the answer is you try lots of things and some things click and some things mm -hmm. don't and you always try different, new, interesting yeah. things. And cool. so in essence, me writing prose finally was me making the decision that I was, I was going to try this thing that I always um, took the easy way out. Every time I tried, uh -huh. I didn't like it, so I stopped. And okay. I and I didn't like it for very valid reasons. It wasn't very good. <laughs> I didn't. I, I wasn't happy with what I was writing, so I okay. just set it aside. And I had paying work to do, and 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 I could easily justify setting aside a spec yeah. book because I have paying work to do. Because yeah. you got to get paid. You got, yeah, 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 you yeah, got yeah. the mortgage. You got the college tuition. You got all of that yeah. stuff, right? Uh -huh. um, nope. But by 2017. Um, so many of my peers were writing books and selling books, and I it, it, the found the impetus was honestly jealousy. <laughs> like <laughs> they're 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 doing it, and I'm not. Why am I not doing it? And and the only reason I wasn't doing it is because I was afraid that it wouldn't be good. So I started to work on it, and after a few chapters, I had some people look at it, people I respect. They gave me good feedback, and I said, okay. okay Let's keep going. By the time I got to a page hundred, a hundred of the manuscript, I was very confused because I didn't think it sucked that bad. I, <laughs> I you know, it's like I'm, even back to my heyday. You gotta understand, Johnny. I was at Marvel's advertising manager when we were releasing New Warriors, which was going to be my first Ooh, mainstream yeah. superhero book I for Marvel. That. My mm -hmm. internal advertising line that nobody in the office would let me use was, "It's not gonna suck like you thought it was gonna." <laughs> so, so so when I say when I say I looked at my first hundred pages of my manuscript and I said that that doesn't suck like I thought it was gonna to yeah. me that's internal praise I'm actually satisfied with myself okay. and and I'm normally not so I'm <laughs> I'm satisfied with myself that it's 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 coming along okay cool. something happened in the last 20 years that made me have a better affinity for writing prose that wasn't going to make me wretch, you know. So, so I wasn't, I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to do a bad James Elroy voice. I wasn't uh -huh. trying to, I wasn't trying to be uh, authorial. I wasn't trying to be yeah. some highfalutin writer. I wasn't trying uh -huh. to write in an iambic pentameter. I just decided that 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 I, I was going to write it clean and kind of simple and basic, uh -huh. and I wasn't going to abandon my sarcasm, my cynicism, my sense Good. of humor, Good. combined with my sense of optimism and hope. And that's all in the book. All of that is in there. So I've got to ask. So start. The idea germinates back in the 90s. Um, a lot of stuff has happened in that time. Do you think that the societal changes that have occurred, um, good and bad, across the world, do you feel that that gives the book more resonance, especially with the diverse cast of characters you've got going on in there? Yeah, I think I, I think it does. The, the diversity of the cast is a natural outgrowth of the area I live in. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the West Windsor Plainsboro sister towns where I live in New Jersey, uh, were 30, 40% Asian in the early nineties. And they're about 60 to 70% Asian now. Um, I, I drove the minivan as a soccer coach with seven kids in the car and all seven of them had different cultural backgrounds. 
you know that uh-huh. so that's what that's what i that's what i have lived in and that's what my kids have grown up in in our school district right mm-hmm. but but the idea the themes of 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 our fear of change and our fear of of cultural diversity and and our fear of the the difference in others uh-huh. um, all of that becomes more resonant now mm-hmm. than it might have in 1995 so the but the book's themes really are about that. It, it, mm-hmm. It's about our inherent fear of assimilation, of in, integration, and our fear uh-huh. of change, our, okay. our 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 isolation, our our isolationism. We mm-hmm. are that way as nations. We are that way as cultures. We are that way as races. We are that way as religions. Um, I, I think it's all BS. So uh, you know, I am with book, you on this. I'm with you. I'm with you on this. <laughs> in the book, I get to reflect that through the diversity of the characters involved. And I'm an immigrant to the United States, but I came mm-hmm. here when I was like four and a half years old. All my schooling has been through here, but yep. it really was only through the writing and now the talking about the book that I've come to really see little aspects of my own upbringing that I had basically comfortably and casually ignored my whole life okay. growing so- up about how people looked at me based on my name or uh-huh. or looked at my parents when they were talking to someone at a retail store and I mm-hmm. and they had heavy accents and and I could see the store employees eyes roll because they had a deal with the, the guy who can't speak English you know yeah. so so those were all kind of things that, that when I was younger I tended to just ignore for the most part because I didn't I was always so arrogant yeah. and cocky that I just didn't care whatever you're an idiot I'm not keep moving forward but then as i'm writing the book i'm i'm looking at it from the perspective of of the characters and those characters are other people they're not me so Uh maybe some of them don't have that same indifference or or at least feigned indifference you know they don't have that casual arrogance about it that i used to have um and, and and none of this ever affected me in my adult life ever since i went to college and graduated college and got a job none of none of it ever um influenced it me one way or the other uh uh-huh. negatively or positively you know um i was never a diversity hire cuz you know I, i'm yeah, yeah. i'm latin american but but nor was i shunned or, or questioned clearly you know with nobody at marvel comics ever asked me to change my name no, when no, my no. comics saw print you know yeah. what i mean I, and i'm lucky and I feel very fortunate that publishing is an industry that is incredibly inclusive and, mm-hmm. and really always has been, um, at least since since I've been a part of it since 1983 when I, I got a job at Putnam Berkeley Publishing. <gasps> and Putnam <laughs> is publishing my book. What a shock. Oh. Um, mm. And, and, and <laughs> coincidence? Yeah, pop, a little bit. They, they, no. they, they, had the, they had the best offer. They had they had the best offer on the book, yeah, but yeah. but I did also like I did also like the uh, the synchronicity of it all. Um, <laughs> you know, so, so I, I'm I've not I've not encountered it the way that the characters I have in the book have to encounter mm-hmm. it on a yeah. regular basis. Um, but but I have encountered it just enough to I think hopefully make me understand how they feel about yeah. it they being yeah. the characters you know yeah, um totally. and i think i think it's an important aspect of the book because i think it's a by the time you get to the end of the book and and certainly by the time you get to the end of the second book uh you'll realize that there's a possibility that i may Too be much. writing suburban <laughs> tragedies uh oh. that are couched in comedy and mystery 
you know, um, yes, it was a two book deal. So there will be a, another Suburban Dicks mystery next year. Um, so, so, so whether there's more really depends on how these sell. So everybody out there buy some damn books. Um, so, but but there will be two. There will be two 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 books. The second one's already written. It's being line edited now. Cool, excellent. Um, so I've written the book. You've actually mentioned, you know, there's a lot of humor in there, a lot of sarcasm. Um, I had to, I like the, I am only a little bit in there. So pardon me if I don't go like into depth. And plus, I don't want to give all the game away because you know what? I yeah, you, we don't want to give away too many. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to give but, away too many of the good gags. But it's like, the Andy says something about when she's thinking about a situation when she gets home after visiting the gas station. She says something like, uh, she realizes people will think that's the world's smallest violin played. Now, I thought that, I've got to be honest, I thought that was a British thing. I thought nobody would, would understand. I didn't think I'd ever see that in like an international book. You know, do you know what this really? is? That's, that's the sound of yeah, the world's smallest violin. I was like, that's really common here. I, I was like, very, uh, that's a uh, very common, yeah, the whole play, play me, play me a little violin is a real uh, common uh, saying here. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, the humor <laughs> element. We um, stole it from you guys, I'm sure, but it's still a real common saying. I'm not, I'm not saying who, who stole anything or any, who originated it. You know, well, you we know. stole your language, so come on. <laughs> well, just well, because we just because we speak it properly shouldn't mean anything. Did, did, did you steal it, or did the fact we conquered three quarters of the world mean that we gave it away? I don't know. A little bit of both. Yeah, yeah. That's a, a good point. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, we didn't steal it so much as you gifted it to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, Andy, four kids, one on the way. Does she not have a television in her house? That's all I'm wondering. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, we, we, we'll, we'll delve into that a little more as we move along. Um, I, I think... I think that the choices that she has made uh, for herself are interesting to consider because they're not necessarily the choices you would expect uh, a person who mm -hmm. wanted to do A and never got to do it uh, would, yeah. would be making. Um, yeah, that's an interesting and, question. Definitely. Yeah, and, and we delve into it a little bit more in the second book, but actually quite a bit more in the third book, if there's a third book. Um, a third book. I think there'll be a third one. I'm hoping there will be. Um, uh, but then the, the third book is really where a lot of it all comes comes together in terms uh -huh. of understanding her and the mm -hmm. choices that she's made. Um, yeah. She she allowed life to dictate terms to her all through her twenties, mm -hmm. and and she's not going to do that anymore. But it, it starts with suburban dicks. and it keeps moving her forward through the second book into the third book as well. Wow. Okay. Right. You, you, take, John, you gotta understand. I've had these characters in my head yeah, for twenty-five years. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I know like their, I know their lives. <laughs> I know their lives for the next ten years. I know their kids growing up for the next oh. ten years. I know. I know the choices they're gonna make and what they're gonna do. I, I just. I hope I get the opportunity to 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 you know write them because I, I think they're fun characters. So, so the, uh, it's a really it's a really good point you've just brought up there. I was gonna go to a break, but we'll, we'll answer this question first then. When you um, when you've got these characters and and you, you've you've created them, you've got the situations, you've penned them, you've got they've lived a life for you. How do you kind of 
how do you kind of reconcile that not every character has a happy ending? Um, because not every everybody's life has a happy ending, and even if you have a, a good life, that doesn't mean everything works out for you. You know. Mm -hmm. So, and the other side of the coin is something I learned a long time ago when I started writing comic books: is part of your job is to make your characters' lives miserable because that creates <laughs> that creates I thought you were good. I thought you were it, writing for Marvel, not DC. Yeah, same thing. It's it's good. It's good drama. It's good tension. I mean, think about it. I grew up reading Peter Parker Spider Man comics, and mm -hmm. and and how you know how miserable was his life on any given issue? Pretty darn miserable. Well, you know, Spider Man was the date. escape for him. You know, look who he gets to date: Mary Jane, Black Cat, Deborah Whitman. Yeah, but Look how often he screwed those dates up. I'm talking about pre pre marriage Spider Man back in the good old days. Um, when, you can't say when that. Peter, now. When Peter was miserable and screwing up constantly, not when he was married to a supermodel waiting for him to come home in lingerie every issue. Um, so ah, the good old uh, three hundred, yeah, early three hundreds. There you go. All yeah. right, I, uh, go on. Yeah, you just you you just you you want. You want them ultimately to be happy, uh, but you know that you gotta you gotta write their trials and, and tribulations because that's what makes for good drama and and and, and comedy and everything. You know, I, the reason I ask is I, I read a book um, predominantly about Marvel, and again, I suppose it, it, it matters not what if you're creating a, a Marvel character, DC, or a prose character, and it was mm -hmm. around um, Doug Munch who had been told at one point that he had to do. Uh, do away with a lot of the cast of Shang Chi. Yes. Um, and for those that don't know, Shang Chi, of course, he's getting the movie uh, this year or next. Uh, but Shang Chi, Shang Chi was the master of kung fu back in the seventies when the when the sort of Bruce Lee films were starting to become massively popular. Uh, Doug Munch had been on the book forever, um, and the powers that be had turned around and said, "Right, we need. It's not selling very well. We need to make some changes." And he couldn't do it because yep. he loved the characters. The characters yep. were his characters, you know? Um, yeah. I, I just kind of, when, when people talk about creations, and and obviously you're very proud of your book, and so rightly you should be, because what I've read so far has been fantastic. I smiled, I've laughed at Thank it, you. you know? So Appreciate the right it. emotions are, are coming through. Um, you know, it's just, if, if, it were, if I was creating something and something bad happened to them, because it had to happen, I'd be, uh, I'd be like this. I, 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 I don't know if I, I don't have, I don't know if I have the strength of will to put them through that. If that makes sense. Um, yeah, I hear you. And sometimes you change your mind and you give them a, you give them a happier outcome than you might have expected uh, originally. Yeah. Um, because you get to the point where you don't feel comfortable doing that to yeah. your character. But mm -hmm. the the other side of the coin, as much as I I've seen firsthand how the fiction really affects people's lives, like. Um, uh, so I respect that aspect of it a lot. That that the work can 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 have a, a deeply emotional meaning to people uh, mm -hmm. at various stages in their lives. Because I've I've seen it from from people who've read uh, you know my work throughout my career. Uh, the mm -hmm. other side of the coin, though, is that you, you they're fictional characters, and you know they're fictional characters. So yeah, a part of you has true. to has to be be really kind of realistic about that and. And, um, and and also understanding that 
ultimately the requirements of fiction outweigh the the emotional preferences you might have or they should outweigh it and and, yeah. and a good outcome is a good outcome whether it's a tragic one or not yeah, in fiction yeah. uh so, so yeah and that's the other reason to have a lot of characters in your in, in your book john because then you can screw a couple over really bad but not <laughs> not not, the, not all of them so then you can go oh come on seven out all of right. nine are all fine so. <laughs> spot the ensign red shirt that's right. Yep, exactly. Got, you gotta send some red shirts around the rock every once in a while, you know, just in case, you know. <laughs> All right. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break. Here's an advert. Uh, we're talking about. We've, we've mentioned a couple of old, old school Marvel books. So here's an advert for our, um, our vintage show. This is the old timers comic book show. out what makes a professor do his happy dance check out the all-timers comic book show only on the ucpn <sighs> the professor i was doing, doing, a, I was doing a dance to that jig <laughs> <laughs> <That's> totally <laughs> uh so the old-timers comic book show uh, is out fortnightly on wednesdays so tomorrow the 23rd of june the next episode will drop um and then go from there to talk about comics that are at least 25 years old. So there you go. And it goes all the way from Action Comics 1 all the way up to wherever 25 years ago was. So there you go. Um, wow. Right, back to Suburban Dicks. Do you have any writing influences? The reason I asked this is you mentioned you worked at marketing. Um, some of the humour reminded me of Peter David a little bit. Yeah, no, because I broke in. To, <laughs> no. I, I broke in. Yeah, I broke in right after, like a year after Peter did. So I mean, so, you know, I, so I started at Marvel. Wise, I, I started at Marvel at eighty-five. No, that's my humor has been. My humor has been a part of my work from the very beginning. Uh, sometimes more so than others, um, and and quite frankly, also in the books where editors would allow you the humor they 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 could accommodate it uh, unfortunately what i what i sold the most of and what i may be best known for which were the x books were uh -huh. the ones that had the least amount of humor in it um and 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 the amount of jokes that i would write that got cut by the editor because it was an editor who didn't really yeah. have um, didn't really have a good feel for humor in comics. Uh, he okay. had a great feel for drama and pathos and tragedy, but he mm -hmm. did not have a good feel for humor. Um, and, and as a result, you know, anytime I tried to bring some levity and lightness to the X books, it, it got taken out. So everything was always storm and tragedy, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so it's always been a part of my work. It's why I made Deadpool a mercenary with a wise ass mouth, not even knowing exactly where it would go, but realizing I, I didn't feel like writing the expected tough guy mercenary because that, that would bore me. So I made him a, a wise ass, you know, mm. and, and that, 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 that played out pretty darn well. It worked yeah. out pretty well for the guy, you know? Um, so, so it's really, um, I don't know because the most of the books I've read by most of the writers I've liked often really lack humor, quite mm. frankly, you know? Um, and, and I didn't read a lot of fiction work for, a, for a very long time, almost 15, 20 years. I didn't read a lot of fiction books. Mm. Um, I just started again in the last couple of years. What a shock. After I sold my book, I finally started <laughs> reading fiction again. Um, and, and I'm finding that, that, 
that some of the books skew humor and some of the books skew straight procedural uh-huh. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Rarely do they kind of combine the two. Mm-hmm. And and I, I I just I honestly really prefer to combine you know the 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 mystery the tragedy the mm-hmm. the the humanity and the humor as much as i possibly can sometimes it works better than others sometimes you know you 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 get off too many jokes you know um and and, and that's just a matter of of figuring out your own balance and what an mm-hmm. audience's preferences are um you know and and, and cool. that's where a good editor like the one I have, Mark, Mark Tavani at Putnam, comes in because you know he'll 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 catch the parts where you're overdoing it just a little mm. bit. Um, okay. I I lean too easily to pee jokes, so there were way too many pee jokes in the first book. So he asked me I'm to not, cut a few out. I, there's I'm not, and there's still are too many pee jokes. There, there's enough pee jokes that one reviewer who reviewed the book criticized it because it had too many pee jokes in it. I'm like, what am I gonna do? She's you know she's nine months, eight months pregnant. There's gonna be some pee jokes in there. Just tell them toilet humor works and be done with it. Toilet. Um, that's that's what that that's been my mantra. It might go on my tombstone. Toilet humor works. Uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to writing prose, and you're trying to go for satire, and you're trying to do this mix of different genres, whether it be like the murder mystery element, you've got the procedural element with the kind of FBI um, information. She's trying to like put a, a a foxy Mulder on it all. Um, how do you manage to sort of circumvent the issues of context? Because sometimes when you read words flat on a page context can be a little bit skewed depending on how the reader reads it how do you kind of get around that to make your point that you want to make um that's an absolutely great question and 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 i apologize that i really don't have an answer for it i um (laughs) damn it (laughs) i i I write i write what i think works for the narrator's perspective on what the narrator is looking at right (laughs) the narrator is the one with the snarky voice and it's it's filtered through the narrator's the third person narrator's perspective of the individual Mm -hmm. characters in that moment in that scene Mm -hmm. um sometimes it it, it, um it's meant to undercut what a character is saying you know mm-hmm. because they they may be saying yeah. one thing but the narrator is telling the audience no no it's something else yeah, you know yeah, yeah. um other times it's done to help support what a character is saying or doing you know mm-hmm. um and and ultimately the the challenge and the difficulty is in in not overdoing it because mm-hmm. if you're if you're if you're doing it on every single page at the time you're writing it, it may not seem like it's that much because mm. you're writing it a page at a time, you know, yeah, um, yeah. and you're in the moment. But then you go back and you reread 20, 30 pages that you've written and you go, oh, wait a minute, I'm overdoing it. Or, yeah. or I, 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 I made the same the same approximate joke twice in a 20 page span. Um, that That's the difference between comic book writing for me and prose writing is that the prose writing, it takes so much more editing and rewriting and tweaking, tweaking just by mm-hmm. the word tweaking. And to mm-hmm. the point where you've read it, 
I can't even tell you how many times I've read the first book at this point with the amount I had to originally cut, then the amount I cut for the sake of my agent's requests mm-hmm. to the amount I had to cut to the, for the sake of uh, Mark Mark's request from Putnam to the amount I had to, I had to approve cutting from the copy editor and then <laughs> tweaking some more of my own. Like we, we, we cut a lot out of the original manuscript because I'd overwritten the original manuscript by a lot. <laughs> what happens to that stuff that gets cut? Does it get reworked and kind of... Uh, Lucas filmed into the next book. No, no, I, that's a good question. I, I I don't have the experience to be able to to know how to do that yet. I have I have a bunch of deleted scenes or 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 expanded versions of scenes you see in the book uh-huh. um, in my files, and and I plan to do stuff with that down the road. Uh-huh. Should there be reader interest, um, cool. not none of it really. Fueled the next book per se, mm-hmm. but I also purposefully had several extended flashback sequences in the second book, um, mm-hmm. going back to to Andy and Kenny's parents and their marriages, because the theme of the second book is marriage. Um, yeah. And and, um, and I had I, I, that was partially done on purpose because I knew that my page count was going to be a little too high, and Mark was going to want me to cut X amount of pages. <laughs> so I knew that I had the flashbacks in my back pocket that I could cut because I knew Mark wasn't a huge fan of the flashbacks. So <laughs> I was able to cut those. But I have them; they exist. They're they're extended versions of anything you'll see in the second book, just like the stuff I cut from the mm-hmm. first book. Some of it, some of it's worthwhile. You got to understand, Johnny. A lot of it was crap. A lot of it was me overwriting. A lot of it was me duplicating effort because I didn't have the experience writing prose with that first book. And the second book was a lot leaner just off the bat. The very first Mm -hmm. manuscript was a lot leaner because I had more experience doing it. The, the the first manuscript really, really when I tell you it, it, I, it was like 540 pages the first manuscript and I had to cut it down to about 390 ultimately right so yeah. so that's a lot of cutting that I had to do but yeah, but yeah. it just goes to show you that that a lot of what I cut was unnecessary because I just was overwriting and, and yeah. over over describing and repeating things too often. Tell that to J.R. Tolkien. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's funny. I reread or I read for the first time, although I was rereading uh, The Stand by Stephen King. Um, right. I, I, for the first time, I read that, uh, that, ver- that extended version that came out mm-hmm. later, which had like 400 additional pages to The Stand for crying out loud. And after the really bad CBS All Access version of the show, I wanted to reread the book and I reread the book. And I love you, Mr. King, but I got to be honest, holy, holy smokes, was there a lot of stuff in that book that didn't need to be there. Um, so, so, so I think it's a change in also, also, though, how audiences are reading and want to read. I think they want things um, a little a little crisper and cleaner mm-hmm. and quicker. They, they, I think our audiences now, because of the amount of visual stimuli we get on a daily basis, are much uh, more adept at filling in the details of mm. of things in their own imagination without the need for the writer necessarily to describe it. I, I don't have to describe everything that's in a room 
for you to no, understand exactly. that it's a kitchen or for you to understand yeah. that it's a living room, you know? Um, some of the stuff I, I was joking about, like what Stephen King was like, you know, three pages of a description about a room that's not gonna appear again for the rest of the book. And then you go, wait a minute, of course it's very well written description because he's an excellent writer, yeah. but what does it mean to the whole? How, yeah. how does it really, how does it really advance your story in any way, yeah. shape or form, you know? Do I need to know, do I need to know the color, um, unless, unless the color of the wallpaper says something about the character or something about the character's life, you really don't need to know the mm. color of the wallpaper, you know? Yeah. Definitely. Let, let it get let it let it get option for film or television. Let the set their designer have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't worry the details. It's interesting how you say we um art, as an audience we want things a little bit crisper. We live in a we live in a digital world where you can stream a whole series of things. Yeah, uh, it, uh, you were saying how how when you've written the first manuscript, you have to go back and trim and trim. And you don't realize, realize no, you've written too much or you've kind of overblown it or, or over-exaggerated something. I remember watching Arrow, the TV show, and I was watching it on a weekly basis, one by one. And I loved the show. I thought it was class. And then I was ill for a while, and my friends bought me the box set whilst I was recuperating. And I must have binged like four episodes a day on a morning. And I swear to God, the, the same sort of character traits, yeah, the same character tricks in this episode happened again in the next episode. I'm like, have you not learned this yet? Have you not learned yeah. this character well, yeah, is yeah. going to do? And, and you don't notice it if you're watching it on a weekly basis. Exactly, and think think of what what a conundrum that is on a creative level. Because when they're writing that show, then they're crafting it. They know that it's a 22 episode season and they'll be appearing once a week and there'll be months of a hiatus in between you mm -hmm. know between the the fall and the spring kind of a thing that, that that's a completely different writing responsibility than knowing that you're doing 10 episodes and somebody could watch them all in a day right yeah, it, it, totally. it, so so a lot of the a lot of the the streaming platform shows don't do those kinds of repetitive ticks because mm -hmm. they their their assumption is you just watched the last episode 20 minutes ago and yeah, you just kept definitely. going right and, and arrows writers have to have to say you haven't seen this show in at least a week you yeah. possibly haven't seen the show in six weeks because yeah, there was a break true. so cool. it, it, it makes for a very interesting dynamic in terms of how you you approach the the, the material so from a writing point of view for suburban dicks because you've got so many different sort of um, nuances, so many, so many different influences in there. Do you find that you have to be mindful to not over cater to one? Because it's it's kind of like an ensemble type story because you've got so many different like elements to it. You don't want to sort of give too much of Andy and and Kenny, but then again, you don't want to let the murder crime fall away a little bit you want to keep everything kind of in focus how yeah. do you find a, how, um, because you've got like your telescope your lens is only this big right and you can only yeah yes and, and it's 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 a it's always it's always a juggling act and and the concern is that you indulge yourself too much in one aspect of what you're talking about or another um mm -hmm. and for me ultimately and and I'll have a better answer once I've gotten to do this a few more times. I've only done it twice, right? Um, for me, That's ultimately, what my says with, with me and my brother. <laughs> I just I um 
I think that the, the, the amount of work I've done in comic books really helped me because it, it allowed me really to focus on the necessity of pace, the mm -hmm. brevity of scenes, because you don't have that much space in comic books. So you have to get, you have to make your points in a quick way. Uh, that also serves the greater whole of the story that also serves the greater whole of the series. And, yeah. and, and you have to have those beats in mind that get you from your, the end of this issue to the excitement and anticipation of buying the next issue 30 days later. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think that my experience writing team books and juggling multiple characters and dialogue cadences and, and, and having to move the camera around so that the artist can um, can comfortably flow the the, the storytelling through mm -hmm. scenes of multiple characters in them. Um, I think ultimately, and it calls again to why it's kind of good that it took me so long to write this book. I think all of that um, stood me in, in in good stead to do that, to have that experience, because it really helped me. Um, it helped me be comfortable with my pace, uh, um, much more so in the second book than the first one. But the first book's problems were not necessarily of pace. That my the first book's problems were me repeating things that the audience already knew, but the characters didn't. So right. I had the characters right. repeating things to each other that that one of the characters found out thirty pages ago, right? right. And the audience knew as a result, but the two characters hadn't seen each other yeah. again until 30 pages later. So you have them go through it all. And I did that so many times yeah. that I had to, I had to shortcut and cut all of that because that's mm -hmm. just bad writing. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and it really, it really helps pick up the pace and tighten everything a lot more. Um, with the second book, that wasn't an issue and the pace was pretty quick and crisp um, through the most part. And, and I, I, but I chose to indulge myself a little bit in the characters introspections on, on the themes and everything else. Um, I, I think that, I think that what helped me with the first book tremendously is that the characters resolving this mystery is an, is, is an integral part to them thinking they have resolved their own inner conflicts, right? Mm -hmm. For right. Andy, yeah. It is a validation in her mind of who she should always have been. Yeah. And for Kenny, it's a validation in his mind of who he was and should be again. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and as a result, the, the two things are going in the same direction. The, yeah. the, you know, the, they're both traveling along parallel roads until they, they get to the destination, which is the resolution of, of the mystery. Um, and, and that made it easier in that regard. Because because it just it clicked smoothly that way. Mm -hmm. Cool, excellent. So time for the tough questions. Are you ready? I am ready. Who's your favorite character in Suburban Dicks? Um, probably Ruth, the, the oldest <laughs> I knew you were daughter. Say that. I, knew, I thought I was going to say it's either Ruth. Probably or, Ruth. Or, it's good. In, in the second, in the second book, my favorite character is Sarah, who's the middle daughter. But in the first book, my favorite character is probably Ruth, who is the oldest daughter. Sweet, excellent. Um, okay, from a writing point of view, which do you prefer? Comic books, which is more potentially more collaborative, or now being the master of your own ship with prose. Um. I, 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 
I can't Cash answer that. Yeah. How do you know? Because how do you, uh, of course, right now it's pros because it's, it's all new and exciting and, and, and it's a great opportunity for me. Mm -hmm. um, I've written over a thousand something comic books in my career. So the, even, even if I get to write a character I like, and I'm, I'm intrigued by like juggernaut or something uh, from a standpoint of breaking down a story and breaking down your scenes and, mm -hmm. and giving your descriptions to your artist. I've done that a million times before, so yeah. there's nothing about it that is um, that is as uh, um, as uh, uh, interestingly new as yeah, writing yeah, the prose yeah. is to me. Yeah, yeah. You know, sure. um, and, and now that I'm an author, I just get into. <laughs> I get into like rooms, rooms I never used to be allowed to go into now. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I was just sitting in a room with like, you know, Jimmy Patterson and Bill Clinton. And we were talking about how cute it was that our, our books were right next to each other on this Kirkus <laughs> review thing that they did, you know, and Bill Clinton said, Oh, shucks, I've been doing this forever. It's great. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm comic book writers aren't usually allowed in those rooms. Now I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check you out with your press pass. <laughs> Look at me. Yes. <laughs> I have a lanyard. I have a lanyard. <laughs> <laughs> have lanyard. We'll go anywhere. Um, excellent. So you've already mentioned uh, second book is off to the editors. Yep. You must be pleased with that third book. Yep. In, on the kind of on. Who the... knows? It was a two book contract. The yeah, ball's in their court. But you, you'll, you'll have it written. You'll have parts of it done already. You know where it's. I, well, so I, got, I have all. It's um yes. The notes are or the notes and the index cards and and the outline rough outline stuff is already percolating. Cool. So what's next for you then? Uh, after this, I'm gonna have a cup of coffee because I really need an <laughs> afternoon cup of coffee. Um, the the uh, I'm, I'm still doing comic book stuff i got a marvel project that hasn't been announced yet because it's part of a larger mm -hmm. thing they're doing uh so, so you can't come on the show i can't, can't show i can't no marvel marvel's so strange about how they announce things nowadays um no, I, they'll they'll announce it when they announce it but but i've already written it it's being drawn now um i, I, I have my what can you tell me what? the artist you tell me the I cannot tell you the artist. No, I cannot tell you anything. They they do not want anything mentioned until it's announced. Fine. Um, Fine. I'll, I'll I just, have. I'll, I'll just drop the fact that you know Chuck Dixon told me about his band book. Um, you know, eighteen months before. Before it happened, I didn't tell anyone, but that's fine. That's good. No, you didn't tell anyone except on uh, your show just now. Yeah, but um, four years ago. <laughs> I uh, I have Outrage, which is my digital comic that I co-created with Riley Brown, which is on Webtoons. And the second season's been a bit of a hiatus because we needed our artists to catch up, but we're starting to work again on it. So hopefully uh, new chapters will be dropping real soon on Outrage. Uh, it's a real fun project to work on. Um yeah. I, I have a, uh, a a third book that I really really want to write, so everyone needs to buy copies of Suburban Dick, so that Putnam says we'd like to extend this contract, and then my agent says, "Oh, good, let's talk," and then I get yeah. to write a third book. Uh, that that would actually be really fun because I I've enjoyed this a lot, and I, I have I still have a lot more that I want to do with the characters, and a lot more that I'd like to do with the story world. Cool, excellent. Well, Fabian, thank you so much for spending the time with me. I really do appreciate it. Um, the book, guys, is out right now, and as Fabian will be pleased to know, the reviews on Goodreads are now at 4.27. They went up! I told Yay. you it was 4.25 this morning. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Someone said us talk about Nomad and go what, and then got and checked it out. So there you go. No, it's mm. because of this podcast that those reviews went up. <laughs> They're it's happening as we're talking, even though as it's not broadcasting live. It will be broadcast <laughs> live in less than an hour. I will tell you. Then that. it's going to go up to five point six. I'm sure of it. Yeah, five point six out of five. Yeah. People are going to start giving it six stars, <laughs> even though they're only allowed to give it five. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right, guys. Fabian, thank you so much. Thank you very much, John. It was an absolute really, pleasure. It really, really was. Appreciate it. Um, don't forget to check out guys the UCPN for all your favorite shows, including the old timers comic book show where we go everything that's a little bit older. You've got the No Price Podcast, which is all about Marvel, and of course the Definitive Crusade, which is your home for everything that is DC. This is Johnny the Machine Hughes and Fabian. Nisiesa said adios. Arrivederci. Visit UndercoverCapes.com for the latest and greatest podcasts via the Undercover Capes Podcast Network. Also visit our parent company website, ComicCrusaders.com, all about comic pop culture.